Chapter 25 of The Romance of Modern Electricity. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Romance of Modern Electricity by Charles R. Gibson. Chapter 25 Electricity and Chemistry. Two Englishmen, having received from Volta a letter describing his pile of metal discs, set about making up a voltaic pile as already described in Chapter 3. This was, of course, before Volta had made his cell or chemical battery. These gentlemen used silver half-crown pieces and copper discs, separating the pairs by cloth soaked in common salt. They conducted the electricity by a wire to a metal plate, and in order to make sure that they had a good connection between the end of the wire and the plate, they put a drop of water on the plate where the end of the wire touched it so that the current might also find a path through the water. While working in this manner, one of the experimenters said that he perceived the odor of hydrogen gas coming from the water, and his friend at the same time noticed small bubbles of gas in the drop of water. This seemed very strange, so to make quite sure that they were making no mistake, they enclosed some water in a piece of glass tube and corked up both ends. They then passed the end of the one wire from the voltaic pile through one cork into the water and the other wire through the second cork so that the current could flow in by one wire through the water and out by the other wire back to the voltaic pile. There was no mistake about the gas now. It could be seen bubbling from the end of the wire at which the current left the tube and it was also noticed that the end of the leading in wire became tarnished or oxidized. To prevent this tarnishing, they next used a piece of platinum wire which could not oxidize, and then they found gas evolved from the ends of both wires. In order to find out if the gases were the same, they arranged the apparatus so that they could collect the gas from each wire in a separate tube, leaving the current a free path through the water from the one wire to the other. They noticed that the tube at the leading in wire only filled half as quickly as the other, and on examination it was found that the gases were oxygen and hydrogen respectively, there being twice as much hydrogen as oxygen. It was quite apparent that the electric current was decomposing the water, which was already known to be composed of two parts of hydrogen to one of oxygen, or as the chemist would indicate it in symbols, H2O. Here we have a good example of how much may depend upon the quick observation of an experimenter. These two gentlemen, Mr. Nicholson and Sir Anthony Carlyle, were not looking for any effect of the current in the water, which was merely used to make a convenient and sure connection between the wire and the metal plate through which they wished to pass the current. The odor of hydrogen evolved from such a small quantity of water might easily have passed unnoticed, and we might not have been today so far forward in one of the commercial adaptations of electricity. The effect of the current on other liquids was soon tried, and it was found that oxygen and the acids always collected at the leading in wire, whereas hydrogen, metals, and alkalis, potash, soda, etc., always gathered at the end of the wire at which the current left. Sir Humphrey Davy, who would only be about 12 years of age at this time, 1800, was led at a later date to wonder whether there would be any effect if the wires were put into two separate vessels containing water instead of both dipping into one vessel. He tried this and found no result, but he happened to put the fingers of one hand into the water in one vessel while his other hand was in contact with the water in the second vessel, and at this moment he noticed gas evolved from both wires in their separate vessels. 
This seemed a most unaccountable result, so Davy got three friends to stand hand in hand and form a chain, and he found that whenever the two friends at the ends of the chain put their fingers into the glass vessels, the gases were immediately given off in the water at the ends of the wires. It was in following up these experiments and some others regarding the heat effect of the current that Davy first produced the electric arc between two carbon points. People began to talk and write a great deal of nonsense about what the electric current could do. Some experimenters went the length of claiming that by passing an electric current through water, they had been able to produce certain chemical compounds, no trace of which was previously in the water as it had been carefully distilled. Humphrey Davy would doubtless be annoyed that any such ridiculous statements should get about, so he began a series of very exhaustive experiments to see what could really be done by the electric current passing through different substances. How much we really owe to these experiments is difficult to realize. In one experiment, by passing the current through some potash, potassium oxide, which he had heated till it became liquid, Davy found oxygen gas given off, and he saw small metallic globules appear in the liquid, which metal was afterwards named potassium. From soda he produced the metal sodium, from lime came calcium, from an earth known as alumina he got the metal aluminium, and so on. Today we have vast industries built up on these early experiments made by Davy. Before glancing at the work done by electricity going hand-in-hand hand with chemistry in the industrial world, it may be of interest to form some idea of what takes place in the liquid when the current passes through it. We must picture every material thing as made up of tiny molecules, and each of these again composed of various groupings of the atoms of simpler bodies. We have already referred to the water molecule as being composed of two atoms of hydrogen to one of oxygen, and we may picture these three atoms holding onto each other, while we may further consider this apparent attraction to be due to a vibratory movement in the atoms or the temperature of the atoms. Whatever it may be that binds together the atoms, it is disturbed by the passage of an electric current, and we find the two hydrogen atoms breaking away from their former companion, the oxygen atom, and congregating at the wire leading the current out, while the freed oxygen atoms make their rendezvous, the point where the current enters. If we take hydrochloric acid and pass an electric current through it, we find an equal quantity of hydrogen and chlorine gas at the respective wire ends or electrodes. And this is just what one would predict, as the molecule of hydrochloric acid is composed of one atom of hydrogen and one atom of chlorine gas. This electric analysis was named electrolysis, electro and Greek lysis, a losing, by Faraday, who did so much for this and other departments of science, and today we have many commercial adaptations of the electrolytic process. In the great alkali manufacture, common salt, sodium chloride, is electrolyzed into sodium and chlorine. When the sodium is brought into contact with water and steam, it becomes caustic soda, sodium hydrate. Or if carbonic acid gas is injected into the apparatus, we get carbonate of soda, while the chlorine is used directly in the production of bleaching powder, chloride of lime. The chemical effect of the electric current is also used in connection with the rectification of alcohol, the purification of sewage, the extraction of gold from the refuse or tailings, but perhaps the most interesting is in the production of the metal aluminium, briefly referred to in Chapter 27. As stated in that chapter, the production of aluminium 
is not directly due to the heating effect of the electric furnace, but to chemical changes brought about by the effect of the current, which changes can only take place at a high temperature. The production of aluminium by the electrolytic process is of particular interest, as without this means, we could not have aluminium at a marketable price. Previous to the use of electric methods, aluminium cost one pound sterling per pound weight, whereas the same quantity may now be bought for one shilling. It is interesting to note that when we decompose water by the passage of an electric current, and we have the one platinum wire end or electrode with its evolved hydrogen gas and the second electrode with its accumulation of oxygen gas, there is a very strange thing that happens. If we take away the battery and connect the two wires from the tube together to form a direct circuit from the one electrode to the other, we immediately get a current of electricity flowing through this wire from the tube of oxygen to the tube of hydrogen, and through the water from the latter to the former, making a complete circuit. We first of all passed a current of electricity through the water, causing chemical disturbances, and now we find that these altered chemical conditions will set up a similar current when working back to their previous positions. In the foregoing experiment, we have the basis of the stored cell or accumulator. When referring to the action of these secondary batteries in Chapter 3, in order to explain the charging and discharging, I used as an analogy a grandfather's clock, in which we expended energy in raising the weights, and these in falling back again did useful work, but soon expended the potential energy given them. We raised the weights, they traveled back in the opposite direction, and in the secondary battery, or in the electro-decomposition of water, the current comes out of the apparatus in the opposite direction to which we put it in, just as when we wind a spring, which in returning to normal, exerts energy in the opposite direction. In connection with the electrolysis of water, some physicists maintain that the decomposition is due to secondary action dependent on the presence of acids or salts in the water. Others suggest that the presence of these merely reduces the electrical conductivity of the liquid. In any case, it is possible to decompose ordinary water without the addition of acids. After Sir Humphrey Davy had made known his electrolytic discoveries, no doubt many chemists would begin experimenting with the electric current, and it is not surprising that several independent workers claimed to have discovered that when the current was passed through a liquid containing some metal in solution, such as copper sulfate, the metal was deposited on the end of the wire from which the current left the solution. A Birmingham surgeon found that if he attached a metal object to the leading out wire, this article became coated with the metal that was held in the solution. It was evident that the electric current was causing the molecules of the solution to break up and the atoms of the metal were gathering at the leading out wire. The current would soon free all the metal atoms in the solution, so it was found necessary to supply further metal to the solution, and this was done by attaching a piece of the metal to the leading in wire. If the solution used was a double cyanide of silver, and a piece of silver metal was attached to the leading in wire, then a metal object suspended in the liquid from the leading out wire would become covered with metallic silver, and in this way the great industry of electroplating was founded. We have silver-plated, gold-plated, or nickel-plated goods, in which we have given some baser metal a real coat of these more valuable ones. The object to be covered need not itself be made of metal, as long as a conducting surface is given to it whereby the current may pass over the article. 
A mold of any object made in wax and covered with plumbago may be placed in a solution of copper sulfate and a coat of copper electrically produced, as just described. In this we have the basis of electrotyping, for if we take an engraved block and make a mold from it, we can deposit a metal film over it, and then removing the mold, we may back up the film with metallic alloys for the sake of cheapness, or we may make the electrotype in solid copper, so that we then have a second block corresponding to the original engraved one. Electrotyping is practically electroplating, but the former term is used to denote that the coating produced is removed and then filled in with an alloy, whereas in electroplating we merely add a permanent coating of a rarer metal to the object treated. This is, of course, of great service in connection with newspapers, illustrated magazines, and books. A plaster of Paris bust may be electrically covered with metal, and even natural objects such as leaves, insects, etc. may be faithfully reproduced in every detail by electrodeposition. As the metal deposited is always pure, we have here a means of producing pure copper, the production of which, by the electrolytic process, has now become a great industry. To get the best effect in all electrolytic operations, we require a large amount of current at a low pressure, and dynamos are now specially constructed for this purpose. But batteries may, of course, be used for experimental or small work. If the two experimenters who first noticed the escape of hydrogen gas from a drop of water through which an electric current was passing had predicted that their simple discovery would lead to the creation of enormous industries employing thousands of workers, their claims would certainly have been discredited. But today, these great industries do exist. End of chapter 25